It wasn't turned on. There we go. Good morning. Yes, Karen, do you have a... I'm not wearing plaid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she raises her hand, <laughs> wants to be called on to make sure everyone knows I'm not wearing plaid. Yeah, I'm sorry. I... I I know, I, yeah, I have to deal with that before I start. There's a lot of maroon shirts out there today, too. It's interesting. Something in the weather, I don't know. I just saw this one, and I, that looks sharp today. I'm going to wear that. So, We're in Galatians, chapter 3, if you turn there in your Bibles with me. We are cruising right along, all the way to chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one there in the pew racks in front of you. you be sure to use that, and if you don't have one at home, you can take that as a gift to you. We want to make sure everyone has the word. <clears throat> so we've been studying in Galatians in our series that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? And uh, that Jesus is everything. That only he satisfies. Only he can forgive. Only he can redeem. Uh, it's been a great, a great trek so far. And we've kind of moved out of the first two chapters of this personal response that Paul had to the Galatian churches, this, this personal experience that he had to share and, and he wanted them to know. And we're moving more into the doctrine now and, and helping them understand that the thing they're believing is, is not logical, it's not sound, it's not what the doctrine of Christianity is. And uh, so today we're looking at the law, and we're, we're going to see how Paul, um, Paul, Paul ended the argument, or, or has, has started the argument, I guess you'd say, um, arguing that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, um, by sharing that, that very personal, personal experience of Christ's righteousness being placed on him based on grace through faith in Christ alone. And it's paramount to any works-related system that would re- rely on the law and the ceremony of the law. Um, so, so he's getting ready now to let the Galatians and the Judaizers see just how empty the law really is, just how worthless the law is, is in a way to, to save people. Um, it, is, it is a works-righteousness system. And I, I say that over and over. I want that to kind of permeate your mind and become part of your vocabulary. When we say works-righteousness system, uh, we look at a, a, a faith or a religious system that is based on doing things, Right? That we, we work so we earn righteousness, we earn perfection, we earn purity. And that's not Christianity. That's every other world religion, but it's not Christianity. It's not a works-based righteousness, it's a grace-based righteousness through faith in Christ alone. And uh, what they were doing, they wanted to, they wanted to, to Paul said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a measurement here. Let's, let's take a measurement and see just how, how this law measures up. We were down in Reading this week, my wife and I, and went by Sportsman's Warehouse and she, she brought a... A, a ruler, a measuring stick over to me. He said, check this out. And it looked like any normal yardstick, right? It was a yardstick, it was, except it was two feet long instead of three feet long. And uh, it had inches on it. Like, oh, so, yeah, okay, what, what's so special about that? Why are you showing me a yardstick? Well, she flipped it over. And on the back of it, it was a yardstick for measuring fish, right, for fish stories. And the inches now were this big. So if I caught one, I, oh, man, my, I, caught a, I caught a fish that was, you know, you know, the fish stories we tell, it was, it was 30 inches long and it was, you know, that big. So, so basically, Paul's bringing out the measuring stick and saying, you guys are using a measuring stick that's a little off, and I'm going to show you today how the law does not measure up. You can't use the law to measure your salvation. Paul showed them just how much they lacked and how much the, the, the law lacked in saving them. And, and as a segue, just, uh, I think I need to cover this. We don't use our freedom. Our, we, we have a liberty in Christ, don't we? When, when we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, there is now a freedom that we are free from the law. We, don't, we are not obligated to follow it and obey it and to, and, to, and to do everything in it. 
But listen, it, Paul argues for this very, very emphatically because the argument against, or, or against freedom is that you can't do whatever you want. And Paul, and Paul says, well, sure, you can't do whatever you want. And, and, and the argument would say, well, maybe we should sin in our freedom, sin all the more that grace might abound, we see in Romans, right? Where, where if we, the more we sin, the more grace is put on us. So, yay, people see more grace, and that's what we want to do. So I'm going to go sin more because I'm free in Christ. And that's not what Paul says. He says, may it never be. See, we are saved by grace through faith. And then we are to live by grace through faith. It, it, you can't separate those two things. What we don't have is, is a salvation from the works of the law, from the obedience to the rules. We have a salvation by grace because Jesus paid it all, because he finished the work that was done, and we trust in faith that he did that. And then we live our lives by that same grace, in that same faith, in Jesus Christ. And, and aligning ourselves with him, saying, I, I'm on that team. This is whose side I am because he's on my side. So our, our, our life is a response lived out to the gospel. It's not a, a response of sin and sin and sin that it might abound, that my grace may abound. It, grace has already abounded unto us through Jesus. So you and I are now free to live by grace. And there's a difference here. We, we talk about the law. I want us to understand that, that there are things in Scripture that are tough to hear. Amen? When we see things in Scripture, we're like, man, that, that is not what society does today. That's not what my neighbor thinks. That's not what my brother says. But we have to stand on the truth of Scripture. So when we talk about the law, we talk about the rules. There were kind of there's three categories of rules. Okay, maybe some more, but three basic categories. One category is ceremonial. Ceremonial law. And that was set up so that, that people could be set apart. These are the people of God. This is what they do. This is how they, in faith, atone for sin. In faith, right, by faith still, not, not by works. Because we see at the beginning of time when Cain and Abel brought their sacrifice of works to the Lord, one was accepted and the other one was not. Because one was given in faith and one was not. So th there was ceremonial rituals that set them apart as, as followers of God. And then there were civil matters that were law and that, that this, is how we, this is how we interact with one another. And God has set these things up through Moses and here's the law. And then there are moral standards in the law. This is, this is morally right. This is what the God of the universe ordained humanity to be and to look like. Now, what do you think is still applying to us today and what is not? Right? The ceremonies, yeah, it's all on Jesus. The civil stuff, it's civil stuff, it's all on Jesus. When we talk about the morality of God, the foundations of right and wrong, they are not based on our emotions. They are based on an eternal creator, God, who from before the foundations of the world set them into existence. There is a right and there is a wrong. And it is not for me to tell you or you to tell me. It is for God to tell us. Amen? Now, those, those moral laws, he gives us just like a dad and mom would give their children. Here's, here's what you ought to do to survive, to live, to, th to thrive as a person. My, my mom and dad always told me, Brandon, we, we have your best interest at heart. You ever say that or ever hear that? See, that's what God does when he sets up the moral law. He says, I have, as the creator of the universe, a keen understanding that you don't have about yourself and about humanity and how it relates to one another. And I have given you moral law, morality, right and wrong, for your benefit. That as you live in that, you will be blessed. That as you live in that, things will work out right I've talked to non-believers before, uh, people that aren't Christians, 
who, who live by a code and a standard that's very similar to what God gives as morality. And their life is pretty well put together. They, they don't feel a lot of the pain and, and scars and baggage from, from errors of life because they have aligned themselves with a moral code, a moral compass that, by the way, lives in all of us. Right? We were created in the image of God, so that image of morality and right and wrong is stamped on our hearts, whether we believe or don't believe. So there's a moral compass there. The fear is, and, and what's happened in the world, and not just America, but the world, is this moral compass that we have, have grabbed onto, we've exchanged with other compasses, other measuring rods that don't quite measure up to what God's standards are. Now, today we're not going to go into a long list of those things, but listen, Galatians is full of that. As we enter chapter 5 and chapter 6 later, we are going to deal with some tough issues. And I want your heart to be prepared to understand that, that those issues are brought to us by God himself. And that he will be the authority on those issues. Amen? Can we agree on that? That God can be the authority on those things? All right. Even if, and I guarantee you, it's going to ruffle our feathers. Some of us are going to feel uncomfortable about what God has said is right and what God has said is wrong. Okay. I didn't always like what my parents said was right and wrong, right? But they still, they still encouraged me to obey and follow. And that's what we're encouraged to do as well. So we're in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Let's pray, and we'll get right to work. Father, we are so grateful to be here today, to, to be in, in your house, worshiping you and, and learning from you. God, I pray that, that we would humble ourselves before you now and before the word, that you would open our hearts and minds to be receptive to what you have to teach us today. Convince us of truth, convict us of error, move us to a place of obedience in our walk with you. May we live by grace. And we thank you for grace. We thank you for Jesus. We pray in his precious name, amen. Chapter three, verses one through 14, let's, let's read together. Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who has hypnotized you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now going to be made complete by the flesh? Did you suffer so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? So then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, then understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Now the, now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and told the good news ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, because it is written, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus, so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Amen? So today we're going to look at this law as a measurement. And, and, and if we're going to use the law as a measurement, we're going to see exactly what it does and what it doesn't do. 
All right, so number one, using the laws of measurement, we see that, number one, it appeals to the flesh. It appeals to the flesh. Verse one says, you foolish Galatians, who has hypnotized you before whose eyes Christ Jesus was vividly portrayed as crucified? So what Paul is saying is, as I came to you and I, I showed you passionately and through, through story and through, and through my, my experiences that Christ was, was crucified, that he, that he atoned for our sins on that cross and through his resurrection, that he, that he appeared to me, I've t- shared, I shared my testimony with you, he says, but who has hypnotized you? Who is, who is convincing you, right? How did these, the, the question is, how did these Judaizers, these false teachers, convince the Galatian believers that the way of the law was better than the way of grace? They had received grace, they had seen grace, they had experienced grace. What happened? And we can see it in the words here. Hypnotized, right? They hypnotized you uh, or, or bewitched you, right? And they were foolish. Those two words are, are things that we can look at today. Foolish indicates this mental idea of mental laziness. Mental laziness. It's carelessness. That's what he's saying. You're being careless. You're not using your, your mind, your brain, the, the convictions that God has given you in your heart. The Galatians were not using their heads. It's, it's a term that carries about the idea that you have the wrong attitude of the heart. You have the wrong attitude of the heart. It's based on a lack of faith. It clouds the judgment. And, and, and listen, I want you to understand this. It's so simple sometimes to not be led by the heart and just go to a list. If I could go to a list and check off my list, it's easier you know, my daughter will come to me, and, and, and there will be some chores we have to do and some things we have to get done. And, Daddy, what do you want me to do? What, what are the things you want me to accomplish? Like in my room. I'm picking up my room. Okay, well, let's you know, clean up your dolls and put them back in the dollhouse and make sure the floor is cleared off and the, your stuffed animals in your bed, your blankets in your bed, your, your bed's ready for bed, your books are back on the shelf, your dirty clothes are in the hamper. Those are a list. She wants to do that, and she, and she feels good and complete and full when she accomplishes the list. She comes out because it's, listen, a list doesn't take mental and heartfelt, like, like buy-in. It's written down. The instructions are there. Go do this. Okay, do this. And there's an easiness to accomplishing a list. So when, when the law is presented, it's almost like, oh, there's more of a freedom now. I'm going back to the law. But we have to understand the law brings a curse, the Scripture says. Because if you want to go complete the law, you have to and I have to complete all of it perfectly. And we're not able to do that. And because we're not able to do that, we're under a curse, which really doesn't give us freedom and easiness. It gives us destruction. So my daughter, you know, she wants to go do things, which is great. I, I want her to accomplish chores and list and learn how to be responsible. But I want her to understand the heart behind it. I want her to understand that, that she does this with her heart, that she's a part of our family, but from the heart. Not just flesh and blood, but you are a part of us. And the heart is, I want to obey my mom. I want, to, I want to listen to my dad. I don't want to just accomplish a list and get, get in their good side. I want, to, I want to obey from the heart. And see, the Judaizers were taken the other, the other way. They're like, you know, I don't, I don't want to have, to have to obey from the heart. I want to just follow a list of things. And it's, it's the ease of checking off a list versus having the right heart. Because having the right heart takes some soul searching, doesn't it? And having the right heart takes some change inside of us. Sometimes we like to look the part but not really be the part inside. It's almost easier to, to look squared away than it is to be squared away, isn't it? They had the wrong attitude of the heart. They were mentally lazy and careless. I want you to turn to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. It's before Galatians, a few books. <clears throat> we're going to go to Luke, and we're going to go to chapter 24. Christ had been 
crucified and risen, and, and he was walking with a couple of, of disciples on the road to Emmaus in chapter 24. And, and he kind of blinded them from seeing who he really was at that point. But it's interesting what he said about the condition of their heart. They wanted this analytical facts and list, and this is what happened. But there was a disconnect between the heart. And so in chapter 24, starting in verse 25 and going through 27, they were, they were arguing, and they had said in verse 24, he said, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and, and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him, right? Because he was risen from the dead. And that's what he prophesied. That's what Scripture said. And, and Jesus, in verse 25, he said to them, how unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts. This is the same attitude the Galatians had. How, how unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things to enter, his, and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. I've got to make a heart connection here. You've got to understand what, what, what's going on. And sometimes we just, we're, we're led by sight instead of by faith. You know, the sweatshirts say, walk by faith. And the back says, we'll, we'll walk by faith and not by sight. Right? Sometimes we want, we want this list. We want to accomplish a bunch of things. The law helps us see analytically what, what we need to do. Jesus, Jesus says, I want you to walk by faith. I want you to live by faith. Stop being so slow and unwise to understand from your heart who I am, who I am. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 3. Bewitched is another word they used. You're bewitched or you're hypnotized. And, and this word carries with it the, the idea that they were fascinated and drawn away. You think about hypnotized, right? This little watch the pen or the watch very slowly. And you're like, you know, you're just like drawn in. That's the idea of this word. You're, you're drawn in and you're fascinated. You're drawn away. It, it, you know what's hypnotizing to me sometimes is watching a fire, right? You ever watch a fire pit or a fireplace and you're just like, you can sit there for an hour. Like, oh man, I got to snap out of this. I got things to do. Right? You're fascinated. You're drawn in. You're pulled in. And that's what was happening uh, from the Judaizers to the Galatians. They were being drawn in by this idea of let's just live according to the list, to the rules. The Galatians were following their feelings, right, and their whims and their impulses rather than the truth of God's grace in Christ alone. And even after Paul had passionately and publicly shown the message of Christ and the gospel and the perfect atonement in Christ, they're still being pulled away and drawn away and fascinated with something else. And, and here's why. Legalism appeals to the flesh, because the flesh loves to boast in religion. The flesh loves to boast about its religious achievements. We are, the reason we're drawn or fascinated with the law is you and I like to measure ourselves to other people. And we like to be able to boast in what we have accomplished and what they have not. Jesus says we must boast in Christ alone, because he alone can accomplish it all for us. It's tempting to go back to measuring ourselves against other people because sometimes we look a little better than we really think we are. The fascination with living by the law is bait that will enslave the heart. Last week we said it's a snare, it's a trap. That fascination will enslave our heart to rules. True freedom, true freedom and salvation is what? It's found by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. We keep looking at the, the law's measurement. Number two, we see that it cannot give us the Spirit. Paul argues that it cannot give us the Spirit. 
Okay, let's look at the next passage here in, in th- chapter 3, verses 2 and two through 4. He says, I only want to learn this from you. It's kind of a rhetorical thing. He doesn't really want to learn. He knows the answer. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now going to be made complete by the flesh? Did you suffer or experience so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? Paul wants him to understand, you, you started with the Spirit of God, and in fact, God started, right? It was the Spirit of God, not the law of God, that stirred the Galatians and called them to salvation. It was God's Spirit that did that, and God's Spirit draws us into, his, into a relationship with Him, into that grace that we can enjoy. And the Galatians have believed in Christ, in faith, to atone for their sins, and to make them new. The Galatians had, had that relationship started. They believed the gospel, And then the Holy Spirit, as promised by the Scripture, took up residence within them and and began convicting them and convincing them of truth and their need then to live by grace. God was doing that in them. The Spirit Spirit does that. When we receive Christ, we receive His Spirit, and He is the one who helps us understand our need to live by grace. It was powerful evidence. The Spirit within us is powerful, powerful evidence of the hope that we long for in Christ. So Paul asks them, was it the law that accomplished this? No, it was not. Right, the law was there, we see in Scripture that it points us to Jesus, to the promise, because we can't accomplish what's under the law. So it should point us to Jesus, but the law can never accomplish giving us the Spirit. If you started with the Spirit then, he says, why are you going to try and mature apart from it? Why are you going to try and mature apart from the Spirit of God? Because it's the Spirit is all you need inside of you. Christ is everything. I turn to the book of Ephesians. It's the next book in the Bible. Galatians, Ephesians, chapter 1. I want us to understand this relationship between our belief in the gospel and the, and the, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and what, what its responsibility is to, to us and for us. So Ephesians chapter 1, and we're looking at verses 13 and 14. It said, When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in Him... So we heard the message of truth, we heard the gospel, and we believed, our heart responded to it. Not We didn't check off a bunch of lists. We believed in Him. You were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Again, not because of any of the works of the law. Not because you lived up to a certain standard, but because Jesus gave you the Spirit as you believed in Him and the gospel. He is, in verse 14, He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. He is the down payment. The Spirit is the seal upon our hearts, guaranteeing our inheritance. Amen? It's through the Spirit of God we are guaranteed inheritance, nothing else. And Paul is saying, why are you trying to receive the Spirit and live by the Spirit when you're really trying to live by the law? You you can't be led into that. Now, there's certainly a response from our heart, and God God has the fruit of the Spirit that's produced inside of us, right? And that fruit of the Spirit comes outward. It's an outward thing. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, or we act and we behave. Our response to God's, the gospel of grace should be to live by that grace. And certainly we identify with God, and, and, and we are morally His. But we cannot earn God's Spirit by the works of the law. The law can never give us the Spirit. He is our down payment. He is the one who seals us with His Spirit. Listen, it's no longer about living by a list. 
It's about living by the Spirit of God that has changed your heart. Listen, we've been saved by grace, and now we're called to walk in the Spirit and to live by grace. How can we think that our weak, imperfect, still sinful flesh could improve on what the Spirit of God began in you when you first believed? And God will be faithful to complete what he started by his Spirit. And Paul is saying that if you've begun in the Spirit of God and by the Spirit of God, nothing needs to be added. Walk in the Spirit and you will grow. I think people even turn this into a legalism on their own. Well, if I spend 20 minutes here or 20 minutes there in the Word or in prayer and make sure I get my regiment of, of time in fellowship and time in the Word, I'll be a good Christian. God just wants you to to know him. So what I'd say is you need to get to know Jesus. However he sets it up, whatever recipe his spirit makes for you that day, get to know Jesus. Run to Jesus. Love Jesus. Eat his word a little bit, a lot, whatever you can. Get to know Jesus. And then you'll be able to live by the spirit of Jesus. Because that spirit is inside of you, wanting to be filled up, wanting to be fed. So don't do it out of regulation. Do it out of love for Jesus because he loves you. Number three, if we use the law as an instrument of measure, what we find is that it cannot transform us. The law cannot transform us. Look at verse five in chapter three. Oh, I got to go back to that book, Galatians. So then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work, work miracles among you? By the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Well, it's by hearing with faith, right? It's that we believe in faith, what he, who, he is who He said He is. And that's when He does miracles among us. This word, this phrase, among us, can also be translated within you. But as Paul talks to the Galatian believers, one of the things that we can see is that he is talking about the miracle that God has done among this group and certainly within the heart of the individual, Right? That God, the atonement that, that He has offered us, the, the free gift, the redemption, that He's paid the price for our sin, that is a miracle inside of us. When we believe the gospel and, and He changes us, He wipes away our sin as far as the east is from the west, and He clothes us, right? Puts His white robe of, of righteousness around us. And that's a change. And that change is a miracle. I believe every moment that someone goes to Christ in faith and believes the gospel, and when God saves them, that is a miracle. It's a miracle to be rejoiced over. And it can't be accomplished by the law because only God, only God through Christ can transform us. So whether you're within the group of Galatian believers or it's individual believers, we can see that God has been the supplier of the Spirit and thus the supplier of the miraculous atonement within and the wondrous works without. Ephesians 3, 20-21 says, Now to Him who is able to do above all and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, right? His power works in us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So we give credit and glory and honor to Jesus Christ for what He has done, for the power that He has given in us to live by faith, not for us to earn our way keeping the law. While the law can shape us up, right, and make us look good on the outside and look the part, it will never provide what we need for the transforming of our souls. The law 
can set you apart, but it can't change your heart. Number four, the law cannot guarantee our spiritual inheritance. The law cannot guarantee our spiritual inheritance. There are some, even Jewish people, who say, I, I'm, I was born into it, man. I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. I, I'm an error no matter what. I would say you are in error no matter what. Because our spiritual inheritance is not, not dependent on you being born of a certain tribe or nation. It is being born of God. Our spiritual inheritance is not in keeping of the law. It is in Jesus Christ. Let's look at verses uh, 6 through 9. He brings Abraham into this now. He says, Just as Abraham, what? Believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, so understand that those who have faith are now Abraham's sons. All of us who have faith are Abraham's sons or heirs, right? Now the Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and foretold the good news to Abraham, saying, just your descendants will be blessed. No. All the nations will be blessed in you. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, who had faith. See, Abraham had faith. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And this word credited can be interchanged with imputed or accounted. That's the idea of that, that when we come to Christ and believe the gospel, and when we, when we turn from ourselves and say, I, I can't accomplish it on my own, I'm emptying myself of my own way, and I'm turning to Jesus for the forgiveness that I need, for the, for the filling that I need, He fills us with His righteousness, not our own. He gives us His robe, not ours. And that's, that's the imputing. It, it, it's putting on our account Himself. Jesus credits us with righteousness. It means to put on one's account. When the sinner believes Christ in faith, God's righteousness is put on their account. More than this, the believer's sins are no longer on their own account. God removes our sins and separates them. As far as the east is from the west, they are buried on the bottom of the ocean floor. And it's the promise of God for everyone who believes. The promise was to every nation. Uh, turn quickly to Genesis chapter 15, if you would, in your Bible. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, right after the table of contents. Genesis chapter 15. <clears throat> it's very helpful to have a table of contents, by the way, right, to know where those books are. Don't be ashamed to use that. My grandma was really great about legalism back when I was uh, a, a little little dude. She, uh, she, and I think Elizabeth Bradley, were you here? Are you here? Yeah. She was talking about your grandpa giving you like quarters for memorizing scripture earlier, right? That gra how grandparents entice us, right? I'll give you a dollar if you memorize, or I'll give you this, or and, and it's it was a great thing. They shepherded our hearts well, but it could be very legalistic, right? If you memorize the order of the Bible, I'll give you a silver dollar. Just a silver dollar? Is that all? Right? So she upped the ante a little bit. But yeah, my brother and I memorized the order of the books of the Bible because we got money for it. But it stuck with us. Thank you, Grandma. <laughs> uh, Genesis chapter 15. This is, this is uh, God talking to Abram or Abraham, right? The Abraham, Abrahamic covenant. So after these events, the word, and this is verse 1 of 15. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward, right, the promise will be great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, look, 
You have uh, you've given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him. The, this one will not be your heir. Instead, the one who comes from your own body will be. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to them, your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham didn't have that many children. What God was saying is, I am going to bless all of the nations. I'll bring the blessing of, of my promise and my salvation to all the nations, to those who would believe just as you have believed, Abraham. Because when you believe, it is credited to you as righteousness. And that guarantees our spiritual inheritance. What Paul is saying is that the true children of Abraham are not law-keeping Jews of physical descent, but both Jews and Gentiles alike who have believed in the promise of God, namely Jesus Christ. Right? Back then they pointed forward to the redemption offered in God, or in God through the Messiah. Today we look back to see that, that that promise was kept and fulfilled in Jesus Christ himself. Those who, like Abraham, believe are granted that blessing of spiritual inheritance. And your inheritance is secure because Jesus paid it all, not because you earned it. Abraham was justified by faith in the promise of God. And ever since that, that beginning promise, that promise pointing to Christ, it's always pointed to Christ and the redemption that we would find in Him. So the only one way to come to God is through Christ and in Christ alone, not through any works of the law, because the law cannot guarantee our inheritance. Number five, it cannot free us from the curse. The law cannot free us from the curse. What a great day for these Galatians to be listening to this. Like I had, they had this ruler, they had this yardstick, they had, they had their measurements on it, they thought it was right, and it was so wrong, so off. It cannot free us from the curse. Look at Galatians again. Got to turn back to there. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of the law. Now it is clear that no one is justified by, by God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Let's break that down. But I want to, I want to talk about this because the law doesn't make us sin. And the law doesn't just say, yeah, you are a sinner. But it confirms the depth of that sin. We didn't need to have the law to be sinful. We didn't, excuse me, we didn't need to have the law to be cursed. We did that on our own. But I want you to understand the depth of the law and what, what it really does and how it points it out. And I do this with, with my son. I'm going to share an illustration with my son. He's getting to that age where I, I can really see it. And I, as I prepared for this, I thought this is exactly what's going on. You know, they, they like to argue, my daughter and him, right, or, or wrestle a little bit or take their toys from each other. They're kids. And, and our job as parents is to shepherd their heart, to try to help them understand what is right and what is wrong and why that is right and why that is wrong. Right? I, can't, I can't just always say, because I said so, although it really is tempting. Right? But, but there's, there's something that my son does recently now, because he's starting to learn more what is right and what is wrong, what is, what is truly the law, because his parents are laying down the law. That's what we do, right, as parents. We inform them, this is right, this is wrong. So real true conversations, right? Son, Wesley comes up, he does something. Son, Wesley, you, you can't hit 
your sister in the head with Hulk. Okay. Wesley, you, you can't hit your mom in the leg. Right? Punch. Wesley, you, you can't throw Spider-Man across the room. That's not good. You don't treat our toys like that. Now, here's, and those are true stories, true events that have happened or happen all the time. And here's, here's what he does. When I say that to him or when we correct him, what, what do you think he does? But Daddy, no, no, not yet. He will. He understands the law, right? And here's what he does. He stands there and he's looking at Daddy. <laughs> right? You, you see that? Do you, you feel that, though? That's what the law is supposed to do. The law shows that we are under a curse, that there is depth to the sin that we commit, that it has separated us from God. And when my son understands the law, it breaks him to the core. Now, he was wrong to do it in the beginning. But now once the law has been written, he understands just how wrong he is. These Galatian believers were saying, law, yeah, it's going to be great. And they, they didn't quite get it. Because what the law should really do and what the law does do is it shows you and I just how inadequate we are to fulfill it. Just how broken and far we have been removed from the God of the universe. The law should drive us to our knees and to drive us to Christ alone. Amen? It should not be a place we find our fulfillment, our satisfaction, or our hope because we can never do what the law tells us to do. Cursed is anyone, the Bible says, that tries to follow the law. Because you can't do it. The law is there to show you just how bad you really are. My son gets that. I hope you get that. I get that, right? That we look at the law and see how far we've been removed from God. You see the quotes that he used there in that passage. Cursed is everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of law. If you want to live by the law, then you better live by it. And do everything, but you can't, so you're cursed. Well, what's, what's the hope? Well, the righteous, he says, will live by faith. We see that quoted in Habakkuk as well. The, the righteous will live by faith. He says, if, in the last quote he says in uh, verse 12, the one who does these things will live by them. So basically what he says is this. If you're going to follow the law, if you want to be a lawkeeper, you better get on it. You better get to work because you don't be taking it halfway. You take it halfway, you're definitely doomed. Now, we, we know, as Paul is saying, you're doomed either way because no one can live up to the standard of the law. Paul's saying, why are you going there? What are, what are you doing? You are cursed, and, and the law shows it full force. So why in the world are you going back to that? Don't go, don't, don't go to the curse. Go to the thing that can free you from the curse, and that is Jesus Christ. The law should make us feel helpless. And that's the point. See, we're in desperate need of a Savior to deliver us from the curse and the judgment that we are due. And the law opens our eyes to this deep need that we have for the grace and love of Christ. Amen. The law will never give you that. So what's, what's the final thing here about the law? Well, we, can found, we found it lacking. So number six, Christ alone is everything we need. Christ alone is everything that we need. Look at verses 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
because it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was uh, that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. We can't boast in our own ability, but Christ can. We can't earn the Spirit of God on our own, but Christ can give it. The law can't transform us, but Christ can. The law can't seal our inheritance, but Christ can. The law can't free us from the curse, but Christ can. What the law couldn't accomplish, Christ did. And that is the hope that we have. And that is why Paul so emphatically says that Jesus plus nothing is everything. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and have prayer together. Father, we are so grateful that that Christ alone is all we need, that He paid it all and He is our ultimate satisfaction because He gave the ultimate price for our atonement. And God, there's nothing that we can do to earn that. There's nothing that we can do to earn Your favor. God, we just want to embrace grace by faith in Christ alone. And God, we want You, by the power of Your Spirit, to help us live by grace, through faith in Christ alone. We don't want to subscribe to a legalistic rule or regulation. We want to follow you from our heart. We thank you for showing us how deficient the law really is, but God, that the law pointed out how how deeply cursed we were. We thank you that we were driven and pointed to Jesus Christ, the promise guaranteeing our inheritance. Our hope and our trust is in him, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we respond every week, it's our opportunity to respond.